Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I'm your host, faithful, trusty, loyal, tireless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Welcome to Art World Horror Stories. It's our October special, as we like to, in the month of October, celebrate the horror stories in the art world. And we like to say our world horror stories is about when bad things happen to good artists. And so today we have a art world horror story for you that you will not forget because this one involves real pain and suffering. And our featured artist today is the one and only Amanda Lynn. And Amanda Lynn was gracious and generous enough to come through and share her art world horror story with us. And man, is it a tough one because... This one involves physical pain, physical pain and suffering because Amanda Lynn had a horrific accident while she was painting a mural and fell from scaffolding about 12 feet off the ground and shattered her pelvis, among other things. And it had a really tough road of recovery. She's doing great now and still, you know, of course, nurturing herself and and focused on uh, healing completely. But She's clearly feeling up to sharing her story. She came through and sat down with me recently to share with us her Art World Horror Story so we can learn from her mistakes. And that's the whole point of Art World Horror Stories, because when bad things happen to good artists, we want to share those stories so that we can avoid, hopefully, avoid the same things happening to us. It could be any number of things. Maybe a gallery doesn't pay you. Maybe you made a, a bad business decision, or maybe you had an accident on the job like Amanda Lynn did. That was preventable, and she'll talk about that. So stay tuned and hear Amanda's story, and we're going to get into it in a second. Before I do that, I want to thank you for being here with me. I want to encourage you to go to notrealart.com and check out all the good, healthy stuff we have for you there. Our 2024 Artist Grant is open, so please be sure to go apply for it. You can't win if you don't play, and if you want to win 2000 bucks and thousands more in marketing and PR support, please go and apply today. Uh, Six lucky artists will win each $2,000 and marketing PR support. And so submissions close January 1. So please go to notrealart.com today to apply. Also check out all the good, healthy stuff we got for you. Amazing artists and artworks and interviews and exhibitions. And check out the new remote series by Badir McCleary talking about public art. And so lots of great stuff. But today it's all about art world horror stories when bad things happen to good artists. And the one and only Amanda Lynn came through to share this story with us today. If you don't know Amanda Lynn, shame on you. But you're here today and you're going to learn and hear all about Amanda Lynn, who is a muralist and fine artist based in Northern California, inspired by the feminine and all things Amanda Lynn depicts 
the subtle beauty of the natural world and humankind through illustrated line work and decorative patterning. Uh, her works can be found in galleries and streets all over the world. She began developing her distinct street art style mural work in 2001, painting alongside the graffiti community of San Francisco. Amanda Lynn is a very passionate, and she's very passionate about her outdoor mural work, and she's epic, by the way, and still enjoys collaborating with a variety of different artists, as well as creating large solo works. Fine art also plays a key role in Amanda Lynn's life as she continues to develop her career as a professional gallery artist. She has her bachelor's degree of fine art from San Francisco Academy of Art, and recently started teaching mural classes to high school students, which is super, super cool. Amanda Lynn believes that sharing the creative process with others is the key to living an inspired life. Well, today she's coming on to share with us her Art World Horror Story, and I'm so grateful to have her on today. She's such a badass human being, badass artist, but badass human being, really inspiring human, and just grateful to call her my colleague. And I think my friend, she's been on the show before with Aaron Yoshi a couple of years ago. But this was my first time to really sit down with her. And I think we had a great conversation. She's just so she's just such an awesome human. So without further ado, let's get into this Art World Horror Story episode. And if you don't know, we also have a a podcast called Art Art World Horror Stories. So be sure to check that out to hear other horror stories from good artists. And you'll uh, learn a lot. And so without further ado, let's learn a lot today from Amanda Lynn, the one and only Amanda Lynn. So without further ado... Here's Amanda's Art World Horror Story. Our darkness falls as chills abound. Just when you felt all safe and sound. This heart is losing their bloody minds as their hard work turns on evil eyes. Just worse than nightmares, just worse than fears. As artists cry horrific tears. Welcome to Art World Horror Stories. <laughs> Amanda Lynn, welcome back to Not Real Art. Hi, thanks. I'm glad to be back. Well, it is great to have you back. This is my honor because you and I didn't get a chance to really chat. You sat down with our colleague and dear, dear friend, the one and only Aaron Yoshi, a while back. So it's great to to sit down with you myself. It's my honor. Thanks for coming through. Yeah, of course. I love that Aaron Yoshi is considered a dear, dear friend to many people. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, exactly. She just has that energy, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Well, shout out to Aaron. And so you are, looks like you're at home. You, you're there in the Bay. What's going on? Where are we finding you? I actually live in Northern California. So I'm about a little over an hour north of San Francisco, though I was just in San Francisco last night painting. I'm there all the time. Right. But uh, yeah, I moved to the forest. So I live in a small town called Forestville, but I'm actually in Santa Rosa right now because I don't have good Wi-Fi in Forestville. (laughs) So um, in order for us to do this, I I traveled a little bit to make it happen. Yeah. Well, thank you for that effort. Yeah. That's the trade-off, right? When you want want to live live off the grid, you're off the grid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's amazing. And, you know, it's, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. My wife grew up in Sacramento and uh, her parents had a place for a while in the Sea Ranch, which was just north of, 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 I think, where you're at. But it's just gorgeous up there. You're so lucky. Yeah. No, it's so nice. And Sea Ranch is beautiful. Just kind of the more north you go, the more like magic and mystery and Totally, totally. So you were back in the game last night in San Francisco painting. Congratulations. That's fantastic. That's awesome. 
No, I I feel very blessed and lucky. I've it's been quite a year. This mural that I just completed, I started it marking six months since my accident. So it's a great way to rise up again and just be like back a phoenix to rising from the ashes. Yeah, be back, be back to a, who I am. You know, it was actually a parrot that took me down. So similar to a phoenix rising. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so that's a good segue. Well, let's set this up a little bit because. Okay. You have the dubious honor of being in our October Halloween special episode, Art World Horror Stories, When Bad Things Happen to Good Artists. And (laughs) we started this a while back, a couple of years ago, uh, as an opportunity to actually share horror stories that artists have to live through sometimes. And, you know, and what do they learn? And how do we pass those lessons down so maybe other artists can learn from past dramas and mistakes and traumas, dramas and traumas? Yeah, a little bit of everything. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, right. And and sometimes, right, it's it's all over the place, right. Sometimes it's a corrupt uh, art dealer or dishonest gallery, maybe not paying. Maybe it's an artist, you know, making a bad decision, self inflicted wound or something. And then you know, sometimes it's physical trauma. It's it's an accident. It's injury on the job, so to speak, right? Because at the end of the day. Certainly what you do and so many muralists, so many artists, I mean, we don't think about it much because, you know, it's sexy, it's cool, it's glamorous, it's fun, you know, it's beautiful work if you can get it. But it's also very dangerous work. It's manual labor, what you do up high in the sky, teetering from the edge as you're trying to make beautiful art to feed the soul of the community that you're serving. And then, you know, before you know it, maybe there's an accident, something happens. You know, and you had a similar thing happen this year. Tell our listeners about your accident this year. What happened? Yeah, so my statement about my accident is that I was very, very fortunate and in a very unfortunate situation. So like you were saying, we all climb on these huge buildings. We do this wild stuff. I think I know myself, feel a little bit invincible. I did fall. I was very lucky because two days prior, I was 65 feet in the air in the Cayman Islands on a really sketchy lift, hanging off the side, doing something wild. If I had fallen then, I would definitely not be here to talk. So flash forward, like two days later, I was back in the Bay Area. I was in Sebastopol and I was inside a client's home and I was using rolling scaffolding to paint a ceiling mural, which if anyone's painted a ceiling mural or as you can imagine, even painting your ceiling it's really not that easy. It was a peak ceiling. So you're all day looking up. And so I was using my own personal rolling scaffold. It was about 12 feet in the air. And all day I was painting this jungle canopy. So all day I'd kind of painted around the edge of the room. So I always kind of had a wall in front of me, had my headphones in. I had a lot of time to think about all this. I hadn't eaten. <laughs> I hadn't really slept. I wasn't taking very good care of myself. You know, I had my headphones in and I just finished outlining the outside of the room. So I pushed the scaffold to the middle of the room to work on this parrot that was flying overhead. And I outlined the whole thing. And I basically, I went and revisited the site just a couple of weeks ago. It it took me this long to actually do it. But I saw what I did. I, I knew, I thought I knew exactly what I did. I basically reached to finish a tail feather and I just stepped off. And so next thing I knew, I... 
I just like opened my eye. I mean, I didn't feel it coming. I think it was very quiet. The whole thing, like the client was in the other room, didn't know what happened. It was so basically I stepped off and fell to my right side and my pelvis took the whole impact. So I hit my pelvis, then my ribs and my elbows took out a planner, which forced my head into my armpit. So I actually lucked out in this way where my head didn't hit the tile. And so it was just my side of my body took the impact instead of my head. And the first thing I thought when I opened my eyes was, why is there paint all over his books? <laughs> you know, like, and I didn't, I wasn't really comprehending why I was looking at books. I was just like, I don't understand, you know? And then I started like, it started to like all come to, and then I tried to like move and realized that something was really wrong. So Wow. Yeah, I started moaning and he came in and called the ambulance and and then wow. then I have all kinds of funny stories after that cuz I um <laughs> I'm me and weird stuff happens but the atmospheric river of northern California was happening right. then and the sky right. opened up the EMTs finally get me out into the ambulance we get in the ambulance down this way country road they're like all frantic around me or going and within like 2 minutes I was like did they just fall off the road? <laughs> my ambulance fell into a ditch and had to be towed. Oh like, my God. <laughs> so you can imagine like your whole body shattered and like every movement. It was like, it was pretty intense, <laughs> but we made it to the emergency. It took about an hour, I think, to get to the hospital, but. Um. Oh my God. There's so, okay. There's so many layers of this. I, I, you know, this last bit, you know, about the, <laughs> The crashing ambulance reminds me of that saying about the importance of staying out of the healthcare system because it will kill you <laughs> if you're not. Yeah, if you're not really. yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, okay. So we'll get there because I, I do, I, I kind of want to understand what happened with that. But, oh, but yeah, it's, uh, um, this is about you. Story. It's all about you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So it sounds like to me from hearing, you know, hearing this and, uh, you know, and I, heard a little bit. I didn't necessarily hear that much detail about what had happened, but is it safe to say that you were in the zone when you were painting and and therefore you just sort of your situational awareness of being on the scaffolding was impaired, right? You know, you were just sort of doing the work and and maybe not as aware and conscious of your footing as you should have been. Is it that is it that simple of yeah, an explanation? Ceiling, so you're like looking up instead of yeah. as if you know looking forward. Sure. Also, most for hours and hours, right? Like I mean, you yeah, were up there for a long oh, time. Yeah, yeah, I was like halfway through the day. Most artists that I talk to do the same thing, but there are things called guardrails, and you can put them on <laughs> your scaffolding. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> I never do that, and neither do most of my muralist friends because they get in the way, which is what they're supposed to do. So. That is also my fault. I didn't take the safety precaution. Had I, even if I was in the zone, I would have bumped into the railing and then I wouldn't have, you know, I would have checked myself and then instead of like just stepping forward. So yeah, I was at fault. <laughs> That's what happened. Um, well, okay. So let's, yeah. but well, A, God bless you, right, for being honest with yourself about how it happened. And, you know, cause that's the only way, right. That you're going to prevent it from happening again. But, but it's yeah. sort of very typical, right. Cause I'm speaking for myself, I'm convinced it's not going to happen to me, right. Like whatever it is, Oh, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. So the fact that you weren't putting on the side railings, was that something that you used to do and you stopped doing 
you know, it sounds like you often didn't put them on there. And that was just because you felt confident that nothing was going to happen. Like, why not use the side rails? Because they get in the way <laughs> when you're working. God damn it. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I have literally talked to so many mirrorless friends of mine that are like, God, I never use this guardrails. And now I'm like this advocate that I'm like, put your guardrails up. Yeah. I mean, it, it literally, that's why, I mean, when I go to rent them, I finally own my own scaffolding, but I went, when, anytime I go to rent them, I'd be like, oh, I don't need the guardrails. And then they'd be like, no, we have to give them to you by law. And so there's that reason. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to use them by law, but we have yeah. to give them to you by law. Yeah. So yeah, no, it wasn't something that I did prior unless I was on like a major, you know, union type job site and they make you do that stuff. But yeah, no, I usually, I mean, cause it's just, as you're moving your arm, but now looking back at it, it would have been fine to have them up because I was my arms were above my head because I was painting the ceiling. So I just didn't really think it through. Maybe and a like shock you collar, you know, like, a, you know how dogs have shock collars? You can just play yes. the electrified yeah, a little, perimeter. A little electric line. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say I don't really like using scaffold anyways. It's like not really my, right. I prefer a ladder or a lift. Interesting. I've thought yeah. about it a lot with a ladder. You're kind of holding on. You're very aware of your body. And with a lift, yeah. you know, you're locked in or going up and down. So. Um, right, right. Yeah. And you're likely not going to use a, a safety harness 12 feet up. I mean, they're just going to end with the scaffolding, right? Because I mean, even if you fell out of a scaffolding with a safety harness, the scaffolding would probably, I don't know, well, move or go over, right? Like probably topple over. I feel over. like if I had, a lot of people said that, I, I mean, I, I don't think you ever really lock into scaffold like that, but even if I did, I would have pulled it on myself and probably. Oh, right. Then you'd die by the collapse. Like a whole other thing on top of oh, me. Oh my God. Oh my <laughs> the God. The other side broken. So. <laughs> wow. People become an artist at your own risk. I mean, absolutely. the mural game is no joke. This heavy equipment. I mean, the stuff that you learn, you know, you're out there driving this insane equipment that is thousands of tons where you could like, you know, I have broken through like irrigation, like all kinds of systems. You have to be like really aware of what you're doing. I mean, you're, you know, you're a heavy equipment operator. So, um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, there's this whole blue collar manual labor Absolutely. aspect. Of this. Yeah, there really, really is, and I have mad respect, and I get up crack of dawn with all of them, and it's a thing. <laughs> but it's a world I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Well, right, because I mean, I've never painted a mural in my life, but I have built things and done things, and you know, you you use your body, you, you're creating something, and you're outside and. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's so rewarding at the end of the day, you know, good, honest, hard work, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Well, and I mean, let's not forget, let's just recap for a minute that two days prior, you were in the Cayman Islands, 65 feet up in a janky lift, pushing the limits of safety in the Cayman Islands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a smart idea. I should probably definitely stand on the railing of that machine to reach to get something. And I will admit, I did have a invincibility, like a little bit of a complex, you know, like I love to climb on stuff. And I, right. you know, this has checked me a little bit. I felt like who's ever surrounding me was telling me, okay, we're going to mess you up because you need to check yourself. We're going to, it's going to be pretty bad, but it's not going to be fatal. So, <laughs> well, yeah, it's a bit of a wake up call, right? A shot across yeah. the bow, as they say, right? A warning mm -hmm. shot. 
But it, you know, listen, it's just complete human nature, right? Because you figure, well, nothing's ever happened before. I'm the same yeah. person, right? So I'm just going to keep doing it the way I've always done it because it's never been a problem until exactly. it is, right? And yeah. I'm reminded of the old phrase, plan for the worst, hope for the best. And that's kind of it. And, it, you know, like, I'm just so grateful that you were down to come on and talk about this because I think this is a really important message to get out into the world and get out to these young kids, if nothing else, who are starting to, you know, they're inspired by your work. They want to be like Amanda Lynn. They want to paint big murals and they need to hear that, you know, what safety matters, safety first. I mean, this is a dangerous game. It is. And I worked on a music festival industry for a long time with the sight off skies. And it was always a joke about safety last. You know, that was always our joke. And then I was like, turns out it's not a good idea. Smart comedy people. Yeah. Who's got time for safety, man? The show's yeah, must exactly. go on. Exactly. Wow. 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 Okay. Okay. So goddamn parrot tail feather. Goddamn parrot. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, had I always this, knew I had there was this. something about those fucking parrots, man. You, can they be trusted? I, when I went back to the crash site just a couple of weeks ago, I looked up and that damn parrot was smiling back at me. He had a <laughs> smile on his face and I was like, all right, all right. <laughs> okay, so so the parrot gets the last laugh. There's so many questions. There's so many questions. So. You fall, you probably, you know, unconscious, I'm guessing, for a few seconds anyway. You wake up, you see the books, you're like, why is there pain on the books? You start to realize what the hell has just happened to you. It didn't make a lot of noise. It sounds like it wasn't until you yelled out or said something that the that the mm-hmm. client came in, right? So maybe, maybe mm-hmm. it didn't make a sound. Thank goodness the client was home. Like that's another thing, right? Like, how would you have communicated? If the client wasn't there and you were laying there, did you have was your cell phone on your hip in your pocket? Would you have been able to make a call? Did you need one of those first alerts? I've fallen and I can't get up. You know that my grandma has. (laughs) I don't know. You know. I mean, I thought about all that. I asked them to grab my phone when we were getting in the ambulance because I knew I needed to tell my people, and it took them a minute to find it. So it was in my back pocket, but I'm sure it flew out. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I, I thought that I had broken my. Back. back right yeah because i like couldn't move so i mean i guess if i had laid there for an hour or so i would have like figured out how to move you know yeah, um, right. yeah figured out that i could move but you know you're so scared because it's always like they tell you never to move if you've shattered your spine right, right. so that was like I, I was really nervous to move because actually the client ran in and tried to turn me over and i was like don't touch me <laughs> you know um, yeah. and i just laid in that exact spot yeah i don't i don't know i i Obviously, it traumatized him. Sure. Too. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, I felt horrible about that. He's been so kind. Well, by the way, I don't, I'm just going to suggest a provocative thing because, you know, we do live in a litigious world. Artists are notoriously bad at things like, you know, business matters. So the idea that you might have or an artist would have insurance for the project, I mean, the client sounds like you knew the client and whatever. That's great. But like some clients might've been really worried, like, oh, are you going to sue them? Like the legal aspects of, of you being so traumatized on property. I'm guessing some of those things flushed out over time and, you know, we can get to those. But again, I just, 
you know, because shit happens, right? Like the bumper sticker, you know, shit happens. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and thinking about how the business layers that need to be there to protect people and insure people or whatever the case might be. Historically, have you been rigorous about putting together those kinds of things, you know, insurance for the site and all that workers comp stuff? I mean, speak to your experience around that. Yeah. So that's a major thing. And I've been required for a long time to have that. I actually had my, I got that about 15 years ago. I used to do outdoor sculpture conservation. And so Mm -hmm. I worked for big museums and everything and they required it then. So I usually, I carry about a $4 million Mm -hmm. general liability, Mm -hmm. but that actually covers someone else. So that's like, if someone trips on my hose, I can't stand for it. They sue me uh, or they can't sue Stanford. They sue me. So I carry that. And nowadays pretty much everybody asks for that, not necessarily a private client like this, but most job sites that I go on, they require that. I don't carry workman's comp because I'm my only employee. And so it doesn't cover me. Right. But yeah, that's usually required. Yeah. I mean, I was asked by the hospital, you know, if I could put this on him, you know, like if they could get more money from him, but it really, it was my equipment. Right. My mistake. Also, I do consider him a friend. He's like, I'm. This is my third mural in his home. So yeah, yeah right. It's just You're not, not going to go there. Do something like that. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I do have health insurance. No, no, but it it is, and you know, and again, that's why I'm so grateful for you to come on. And you're just, you know, you're obviously so sincere and honest about how this happened, and that's what's so important, right? Because it is at the end of the day, so many of these accidents that happen to us regardless what work or we're in or what we're doing. I mean, a lot of times it's negligence on our part, right? Like, <laughs> like it's just sort of moving quick. Nothing's ever happened before. I've done this a million times. And I mean, we're just not respectful of the danger as much as we should be. And maybe not. I mean, I've been working with a lot of people. I now work with a, a PT still who is kind of like a mind and body. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, she's, it was also me and my way of, doing life and doing too much and go, 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 and never listening to my body or my mind. And she was the first person to ask me. I met her about three months after the crash. And she asked me if I wanted, if I wanted to do the job that I was doing. And I was like, what? And she was like, did you want to do that job? And I was like, no. (laughs) And she was like, oh, okay. Well, that's the beginning right there. So let's, uh, you know, really backtrack on that. And maybe when we're approaching things in the future that if she's like, cause if your, your body has like a physical response where it's like clenched up and it's not acting the way that it should when you're not fully in it, you know? So. Wow. Yeah. So so the body is sending signals. Maybe it's, you know, call it intuition, call it whatever, but your nervous system is sending you signals that, or sitting as all signals, right? That we're probably ignoring, right? It's like, oh, well, mm-hmm. yes, I'll power through or no, no, no. I'm just, you know, I'm having a bad day or whatever. But really yeah. her point is we have to listen to those signals because they mean something. They do. Yeah. <laughs> it was the first thing my sister said to me, who was nine months pregnant when I did this, running into the emergency room. She was like, you didn't want to do this effing job. And I was like, oh my God. Shut up. <laughs> So you were on record. You had told your sister that you didn't want to do the gig. 
I had, I tell my sister everything, but yes. <laughs> oh, so she knew she's like, Oh, you jerk. You didn't even want to do this. And now look at you. Now look what you did. Yeah. <laughs> we have to birth this baby here in a couple weeks. It's going to be the last thing you tell her. That's for sure. <laughs> wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. 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 Wow. I didn't, I didn't expect that dimension to yeah, the story. Yeah. Sealing murals are really hard. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I had done sort of an overhang on his right beside there. So I already knew that. And it was just, it was really physically hard. And I was like, I, you know, just, I just wasn't in it. Right. So it was yeah. like, but I've talked about this with my trainer. I'm a freelance artist as any artist listening knows, you know, mm-hmm. it's a job, it's money. Yep. You say no, but they then what if another job reason, doesn't you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like if another job doesn't come, then are you being stupid? Cause you didn't take the job and you know, all right. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Lessons, lessons, lessons. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're laying there and I have to ask this question and I and I have to make an assumption that, you know, given given the amount of ink that you have on your body, I'm going <laughs> I'm going to assume your pain threshold is pretty high. Let's tough see. human, tough human. <laughs> so you're laying there. How soon was it? Because I'm guessing you were in shock, you were in trauma, your mm-hmm. adrenaline was maybe pumping. I don't know. But at what point did the pain set in? And on a scale of one to 10, you know, they have that diagram at the hospital, right? <laughs> you know, the, the, the they face. They always ask you that. Yeah. yeah I it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Which, which one, face are you? Yeah. Yeah. It was a well, 10. Well, when the EMTs come in, that's what they ask, yeah. right? Like right. everyone comes in. Yeah. And I, when I'm in pain or I'm like insanely tired, I actually get really kind of goofy is kind of how I like mm. deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they came rushing in and they're like, ma'am, you know, on a scale of one to 10, what's your pain? And I was like, you know, well, boys, like, <laughs> I have a really high pain threshold and this shit feels like a 12. And they were like, okay. And I was like, this is real. Wow. So was it it the worst? Because I have a confession to make, right? So Mm -hmm. I've been damn lucky in my life in that I have, while uh, while I have definitely done so many, you know, risky, dangerous, stupid things, I've managed never to really break a bone or end up in the hospital in any major way. And so I'm fucking scared. Like I'm scared of the day (laughs) that I fucking break a bone because I just don't know like how I'm going to hamper and cry like a baby. I, you know, I didn't. So, so the fact that you had that amount of trauma and pain, I mean, to me is just like really fascinating. And so if you don't mind, I mean, talk about what the pain was like and, and then how did the EMTs treat you? Because they're not hooking you up to morphine at that point. I mean, what are they, how are they treating your pain? Yeah. So I was being really weird. Um, no, they like, so you're laying there on the ground. They have to get you up yeah. onto the gurney, you know, like yeah. they got my head all yeah. cause they have to figure out what's wrong. They don't know what's wrong with me. So they, once they got me into the ambulance, they do offer you pain medication. I don't know. I was pretty out of it. And I just, for whatever reason was refusing it. Oh, jeez. I know. Well, they were like, okay, we can give you ketamine. And I like laughed and I was like, well, boys, I'm too old for that anymore. You know, whatever. Made some stupid joke about me not doing that anymore. And then they offered me fentanyl. And then I was like, fentanyl, you know, so whatever. I was being crazy. But um, they were like, okay, well, this is going to be like a long ride, not knowing that we were going to like fall into a ditch. (laughs) So I actually didn't take anything. The whole way there, I got to the, you know, to the emergency room and I was laying there and everyone was freaked out because actually when I start my murals, I only use black and I mm-hmm. like outline in black. Mm-hmm. So I was 
I didn't realize this, covered. Like my face was covered and my hands in black paint. So I come into the emergency room and everyone thinks I've fallen off a roof and that it's tar all over my body. And so like <laughs> they can't find me. There's because of the river, atmospheric river, the emergency room is packed. So I didn't have a room. So I'm just in the hallway, like covered in paint. And this nurse comes up to me and she was like, so I've heard that you're refusing pain medication. And I was like, yeah, you know, I just like, I wanted to have my wits about me when I got here. So I call my sister, you know, like figure stuff out. And she was like, well, look, you're about to go get x-rayed and this is not going to feel good. She was like, I'm going to ask you, please let me give you 25 whatever milligrams or something of fentanyl. And I was like, okay. And she's like, I promise you're barely going to feel it. And she was like, we normally give people a hundred. And I was like, she was like, but you're going to need it. And I was like, okay. So she did it. I go in to get x-rayed. That was actually more painful than anything because they turn you. Yeah, right, right. Shattered and all your bones are Oh, right. yeah, I can't it even. It was insane. It took forever. And then I came out and she looked at me and she was like, do you want some more? <laughs> I was like, well, huh? <laughs> yeah. Smart ass. Like, you know the like, That's that. what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah. So for those two days that, that night, you know, all the x-rays, all that stuff. And then I had to sit for a day, actually, they were too backed up on surgeries. So I had a full day of just waiting for my surgery. So I did, I, I dipped into Dilaudid and a few other things. Um, hey man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you got a legitimate, a legitimate excuse for yeah. morphine <laughs> or Dilaudid or ketamine or what to do it. Whatever. Take it. I know, I know. Oh man, oh man, oh man. So it makes sense, right? That I guess they would have things in the ambulance to be able to take the pain away, uh, only if mm-hmm. <laughs> if if you decide to take it. So the ambulance takes off. You're driving in this atmospheric storm, mm-hmm. and you end up in a ditch. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you weren't driving. I don't even know if you know what happened. I'm guessing a hydroplane. Do you know what the fuck happened? Like how the hell it ended up in the ditch? So on top of everything, this house, because I live out in the country now too, it's Mm -hmm. like to get to this client's home, you go down a country road, down a dirt road, down a path that has these like three speed bumps, which I felt all three of those, but it's really, really narrow. And like, it's easy to go off that path road. So this happened in the beginning. So as they were turning, we did the first speed bump. And then I felt that like the whole ambulance shift to the side. And I was like, oh no, they fell in that ditch. Like I knew exactly where we were. And I thought it and you know, they're all looking around and being quiet. And then like, that's like discussion about, I was like, oh my God, we have to get towed. But it seemed like it all happened quickly to me, everything, the EMT coming, the towing, but that could have been on, I don't know. But they were very efficient and very nice. But they had AAA. So, you know, the, the, the tow truck was there in no time. Because <laughs> it doesn't sound like there are a million other emergencies going on. But yeah. Can you imagine if, if they were like, excuse me, miss, we're in a ditch and we don't have AAA. By any chance, do you have AAA? <laughs> like I do. <laughs> it's like, here's my card. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my God. So, all right. So somehow, some way the tow truck shows up, pulls you out. How long did that take? It felt like that was pretty quick, but I don't know. I remember the ride there because I actually didn't know where we were going Mm -hmm. because I had, I mean, it's a long story, but I had Kaiser insurance and they don't have a trauma unit where I am. So they were taking me to some other hospital that I'd never, I didn't even know where it was. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, just in my mind of like, I'm 
fairly good with directions. I was like, where are we? Why is this taking so long? So it felt like the tow truck didn't take as long as the ride there, but I'm sure that there was traffic and it was like, you know, right. It was probably a 40 minute drive. Mm -hmm. It's not a fair question because I mean, my God, you're so fucking out of it, you know, but I'm just like, you know, I mean, I know I would be out of it thinking about time and who gives a fuck, but yeah, I can see how it would be warped, you know, your sense of, of timing and, you know, and all of that. Wow. So you get there and the hospital's packed. The ER's mm-hmm. packed. You arrived at the hospital. How long was it before you were seen by a doctor, given how busy the ER was? It was a long time. I mean, they took me in an x-ray, I think, to like, I guess because I had to check internal bleeding. I mean, they x-rayed me right away to see what all was broken mm-hmm. and then took me back out. And I mean, it must have been because my sister said it was, took a while to get there. So I feel like after that first x-ray, she showed up. And then we sat out in the hallway for a long time, for like a couple hours before I was taken in to be seen to do more blood work and stuff like that. So. Well, to be clear, to clarify, I'm guessing your sister sat, you laid on the gurney, right? I did. And we got placed next to a woman that was pooping herself. Um, Oh, nice. (laughs) I heard she was on a plane the other day that took the. uh, Oh my God. It was nuts. You know, my pregnant sister smelling all that. And this like a nurse is coming around with like a coffee pot having a sniff it because the area smells so bad because like the whole area smelled so bad. Oh boy. Yeah. And this other nurse was really obsessed with the paint on me and getting it off. So she was like taking the sponge <laughs> and like slowly cleaning it. It was definitely a skit from a movie going on. <laughs> yeah. That must have really thrown them for a loop. What is happening with this person covered in? something black. (laughs) Don't worry. I'm an artist. I'm an artist. It's okay. (laughs) I didn't realize how crazy I looked, you know, until someone finally like held the phone up to my face and I was like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I hope we have photos of this somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I think there's only one really bad one, but yeah. It's like some people bleed red, you bleed black. Black, you know? I know. <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So, okay, so thank God for that nurse that talked you into taking a little bit of fentanyl anyway so you could survive the x-ray, uh, although it sounds like the x-ray was still fucking miserable and you probably were wishing you took 100 milligrams, but yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. fine. <laughs> at least at least you took a little bit, take the edge off, I guess. I don't know, but it doesn't sound like it. Anyway, so you get through the x-rays. Now, at this point, I guess they figured out that it's not your neck, right? Or your spine, right? Like, have exactly. they determined? So yeah, because yeah, yeah. then I also did CT. They had me in the CT room a whole bunch, scanning right. that, my brain, all that stuff over and over again. Yeah. And then I was internally bleeding, so they were watching that. Right. You know, trying to, I think, decide where I was going to go. So they ended up taking me to the ICU because I was internally bleeding, which oh, you I don't were. Know. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone, anyone that's been to the hospital, I will have to say ICU is like a godsend. It's like, oh, it's yeah. literally like the penthouse of the <laughs> hospital. I was so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> they were so nice. And it was like <laughs> my own private room. And like, yeah. Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh, to be lucky enough. To be an ICU. <laughs> I know it's a weird statement, but <laughs> but I got taken down to Gen Pop the last day I was there, and that shit was real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gen Pop. Yeah. Nobody Gen Pop. The only yeah. the only cool thing about Gen Pop is saying Gen Pop. Like that's the only thing it's that's true. cool about Gen Pop is just saying Gen Pop. That's the, I had a schizophrenic. Rolls off the too. tongue. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So they take you to ICU. They know you're bleeding, but they also know that, well, you're broken up. You have some internal bleeding, but they know that they can't get you into the OR. So the the move into ICU is to keep you stable until they could get you into the OR. Is that correct? Yeah. And then I met my surgeon who ended up being the most amazing human. There were three surgeons, and he was the only one who wanted to take it on. His name's Dr. Axelrad. Axelrad. Um, Are you kidding me? Of course he took it on. And he came walking in all cocky, like the type of guy you want to screw your ass back together. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out, Dr. Axelrad. Literally. And he thought my story was so funny because obviously they get like, pretty normal hip fractures. Yeah. So he came in with this pelvis and he like drew all over it. And he was like a normal person, like breaks it here. And he was like, okay, you broke it in seven places and fractured it in 15. And he was like, was just drawing these lines on it. And he was like, most people, the other two doctors say to just wrap you up and you lay there for three months. He was like, I propose that we like take a plate here. We do a plate here. We screw, 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 screw. And he was like, and I'll be walking in two weeks. And I was like, done. Let's do it. You know? And so I, he did this, perform this crazy ass surgery on me, which I've been told by many people wouldn't have happened like 10 years ago. And so I lucked out again. I, it's all like very unlucky, but so lucky. And Dr. Yeah. Axelred, do you, I mean, angels among us and whatnot. I mean, absolutely. And beyond that, this man is so awesome that my insurance doesn't cover him. Well, that initial surgery they had to, but I was supposed to be sent back to my Kaiser mm-hmm. and not go to him after the surgery. And he was like, screw that. I follow my surgeries and this one's extremely un- unique. I'm going to see you for free. You come see me every two weeks and we'll get you walking. And like, uh, and I did. And he did. And like, he was amazing. And because the Kaiser people told me not to walk and not to do anything. Right. And he pushed me forward every two weeks. So yeah, it was pretty incredible. The irony, though, is that now he wants a ceiling mural and you're like, I don't I know. know. Right? <laughs> he has a winery. I was like, I'll paint you whatever you want. I gave him art. <laughs> <first."> <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, this, I mean, seeing your smiling, happy face today, that was clearly the happy ending was implied. Just seeing your happy, healthy, smiling face today. That being said, I didn't realize that there were levels and layers to the happy ending like there are multiple happy endings here i mean dr axel rad was the first (laughs) of the happy endings that this badass motherfucker walks in and builds you back better stronger like the bionic woman so to speak Mm -hmm. so that's a huge win and a gift from the gods then of course the fact that he takes pride in his art in his craft in his practice Mm -hmm. to follow you for free. Yeah. Wow. I know. (laughs) His secretaries were very confused when I would come in to sign in. They're like, oh, okay. You don't owe anything. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Here's a magnet. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're walking in two weeks. I wasn't walking in two weeks. I think he said walking in six weeks. I, I okay, was, he oversold uh, it. All right, that's fine. But six, how, how many weeks before you, I mean, you weren't, well, no, no, you weren't laying there for three months in a cast. Let's be, that's I what you didn't I do. was not. I took my first step without anything on 420. I know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> right. It was a very slow step, but. Yes. Yeah. So I was on a walker for like two, three weeks and I switched to crutches and then, um, 
yeah and not okay like really walking okay and then the third or fourth i forget i've lost my count third or fourth happy ending to this happy ending is the fact that you had medical insurance although kaiser permanente you weren't at a kaiser facility you have kaiser permanente insurance i have a kaiser permanente insurance i used to work for kaiser permanente so like i have okay. <laughs> i understand kaiser permanente yeah <laughs> i get it but so many artists don't have and can't afford. Let's be clear. I mean, they, they don't mm-hmm. have it because they can't afford it. Largely, usually is the case. Mm-hmm. Healthcare in this country is a mess. Dr. Axelrad would tell you that, I'm sure, himself. So exactly. wonderful that you had some insurance anyway. I didn't know that. So I was kind of curious about that and wondering how that was going for you. So that's nice to know that that's sort of maybe not as not as traumatic as, as it would be for some artists who didn't have the insurance. And yeah, the care I mean, my you. hospital bill was $340,000. Yeah. <laughs> so like, that's what the bill said, you know? Yeah. So obviously I had to hit me, hit all my deductibles and all that stuff, but I mean, right. which is right. a lot too, but nothing compared. I mean, I don't even know. Yeah. You can't anyway. paint that away. I mean, $340,000. Yeah, like, like, Jesus like, Christ. Yeah. And that was just the hospital. That wasn't even the surgery and all that other Right, right. Oh, yeah. No, you were mil- probably a million dollars over, I'm sure. Yeah. My wife and I had a situation years ago where she got deathly ill and ended up in the ICU in uh, Paris, France. And it happened to be during those years when we were having our so-called healthcare reform debate and the politicians and the, all the rhetoric was, you know, we don't want to be like France. We don't want to be like France. Let me tell you something. We want to be like France. The amount yeah. of <laughs> care, the kind of care that she got Nobody should go bankrupt because they need care. Yeah. That's the bottom line, right? And so anyway, so that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so you are now recovering. Now, after your surgery, I'm guessing you went home and convalesced at home and your sister might have helped you and other friends and family. What was care like at home for you? Do you have a partner? Are you single? Like, like do you live? I'm just curious because people who are single have a different challenge than people who have a roommate or a partner or a spouse or whatever to help care. So what wagons were circled to help you during those first few weeks after surgery? Well, I would say I had a circle of witches surrounding me. So I have an army of women. I do live alone. I have my puppy there um, and I'm pretty fiercely independent. Um, So I learned a lot about about accepting. That was actually the hardest thing is to, you know, accept help. So yeah, my ladies to circle around. The one thing about living far in the forest up a steep ass mountain where Ubers don't come and you can't get your groceries delivered, uh, (laughs) there's like another challenge. It was really beautiful to just view that out of my window as I laid on my couch ship is what I called it. But yeah, it made it a little like logistically complicated. So ladies would bring me groceries. I hired a dog walker who would come. Right. Day, well, let's honor like, these amazing women. Name them by name and let's shout out to them. Absolutely. Well, definitely my sister, Greta, who also gave birth to my uh, niece, Rumi, and I was able to Woo-hoo! be there a couple of weeks later. Congratulations. Um, That's exciting. Yeah. And of course, Lady Mags and my friend, Christina and Tina and Erica and Carla and I mean, Aaron Yoshi and Gloria and Anne and everybody. I mean, honestly, yeah. it was beyond... The amazing women, my friend Samantha, I was like, beyond the amazing women who helped me physically in just that moment, then the entire world, I mean, at least my world showed up for me in this like way that almost brings tears to my eyes now. It was like incredibly humbling to see everyone 
come together and like donate to me. And I, it's still, people are still trying to like give me money. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm working. I accepted. I'm so grateful and so yeah. honored by everyone's support. You know, it's like a mm-hmm. thing like that where you just don't realize how many people that you've connected with around the world until something right. like this happens. Yeah. Well, you said the word humbling. I mean, you know, it is humbling, right? To realize that we're mere mortals and we break and everyone's different, right? Everybody handles trauma differently. But for those of us who are stubborn and independent and tough-minded, you know, it's hard to accept help, right? Like that radical acceptance, that was another part of this too, right? Like accepting that love, accepting that help, right? When you Mm -hmm. are by definition, maybe help you, you're maybe more used to helping others rather than accepting help, right? That's what I do. I'm the helper. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not used to receiving help. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's in the universe is paying you back, right? Because that's when you realize like, you know what, on a certain level, right? You're, you're planting seeds of love and whatever. And then you reap that harvest, maybe when you don't expect it. And then recognizing like, oh, no, 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 this is the time. Like I'm supposed to accept this. And they told me. Like they yeah. got mad at I'll me and they're you, like, right? like no, fuck no, you. no. <laughs> yeah. Because actually yeah. you can't go anywhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> Look at yourself. Look at yourself. Yeah. <laughs> this is a joke. I mean, what are you, what are you, you can't even walk. What are you talking about? I know. I know. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, so you get through those first few weeks through the love and generosity and big heartedness of your circle of, did you say witches? <laughs> circle of witches. I did say that. (laughs) Yeah, the Wicca circle. Okay, good. And then when did PT start? So that was the thing. It's like Kaiser didn't expect me to do anything for eight weeks. So I didn't get to even see a PT until eight weeks later with them. Obviously, I was trying to do some stuff on my own. And then I found this amazing chiropractor, Vibrant Life, when my sister was giving birth, so that was like early April, I was like in so much pain and I was just, and obviously she was too, but I like was sitting there on my phone and I was like, I got to figure this out. So I found this chiropractor. I mean, because everyone- Did you, I'm sorry to interrupt. I have a question. Did you ask your sister when she was in labor? So tell me on a scale of one to 10, what pain level are you? (laughs) Well, I mean, I said to all of my women, because they've all had babies. I was like, look, you can have babies. I can deal with this shit. You know, and they were all like, it's not the same. And yeah. I was like, it kind of feels like my whole pelvis is shattered. You know, <laughs> the only thing is I didn't get a baby at the end, but you know, <laughs> yeah, right. um, uh, yeah, no, I found this amazing chiropractor and I went to her for a couple of weeks and she told me that she felt like I needed some more physical, I'm basically smashed in on the right side, you know, so mm-hmm. that I needed to sort of like train get a little stronger in my core. And she had the perfect person recommended me to Julia movement by design, who is now my like guru. Yeah. And she's been kicking and my she's ass. The mind, she's the mind body person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah, that, so, that insight was just, that's so sage. I mean, if you didn't want to do this, like this whole thing was preventable on levels that you didn't even recognize. Absolutely. Yeah. So, wow. But, Like I said, lots of lessons to be learned and I'm sure many more to come. So before we wrap up, I I want to be respectful of your time because I know how busy you are and I'm just so grateful that that you sat down with me today to talk about this. But trauma is real. You've been traumatized in a real way. I don't know if this was your first major trauma in life. Certainly if it was or any trauma, I guess, you know, there's got to be some PTSD going on, right? Like there's got to be 
like you just said a while ago, like you just went back to the scene of the crime and kind of looked at things. And then yesterday you were back on the scaffolding again, you're painting again. So not scaffolds. <laughs> I haven't been um, on scaffolding. Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so talk about that. Talk about that. You're dealing with PTSD to the extent that it was hard to go back to the scene of the crime and all that stuff. What's that been like for you? Yeah. I thought that was going to be a lot worse than it was. And I, I put it off for a long time. And yeah. I basically, I had a, a good friend offered to go with me to like sort of be there if I passed out. And so that was sort of like, but I realized I really needed to do it on my own, probably because I'm, like I said, a little fiercely independent, but, um, <laughs> you know, and I knew that I needed to visit him to the client because he was traumatized too. And I'd kind of been refusing to see him or sort of connect in that way. Yeah. And so I went expecting with all this tension in my body, like, I was scared and I'm not somebody who's usually scared, but I went and I pulled up and this place, this his home is so beautiful. It's like, he is literally like a feral cat whisperer and like animal, but so he has like animals all over this property. And I pulled up and it was a beautiful summer day with like flowers everywhere. And I like, you know, pull in and my mural's already there and I'm looking around, the gardener sees me, comes rushing over and was like, oh, so glad to see, you know, we were all worried about you and all this stuff. And then I went in and I, I thought I was going to be nervous, but it was like, it was actually beautiful, you know, and I got to talk to him and sort of let him unleash a little bit of his experience um, right. with it. And, you know, he was like pointing to the table. He was like one inch and you would be dead. You would have hit that table, you know, all this stuff. So it helps. If I walked away feeling lighter because I do know that I am going to go finish that job someday mm. because it didn't feel dark and heavy like I thought it was going to, how I build it up in my mind. Well, can I ask a hard question? And maybe you don't know the answer to this, but maybe you guys talked about, because it sounds like you guys have a really friendly, good, positive relationship, but like, was he mad at you? I think he was let down that I didn't let him come be part of my healing process. Oh, uh, He really wanted to come to the hospital right away with me. And I was like, no, no, no. You know, I... I'm pretty private and I, I wasn't yeah. even going to announce to the world that I had done this. It wasn't right. until, you know, some friends encouraged me to, to right. do, you know, about doing like a fundraiser or whatever. Yeah. It's just sort of my healing style to like, yeah. you know, I let, I let my women in, but yeah, I think that was what he was more upset about was me not letting him come. And that's really interesting. And that's not so much about him. Right. So he was just to be clear, he was more frustrated with you and, and you know, mad with, you know, quote unquote, mad at you for not letting him into your life after the accident. He didn't spend much time being frustrated or angry that the accident happened. I don't think so, no. And he actually, you know, after a couple of weeks wrote me and said, he actually paid for the rest of it uh, and then said, it's amazing. perfect as it is. And, you uh, know, and it's not done. It's not done. And it's uh, not like, you know, and I, so he really, really is a kind human. Yeah. And I am, you know, I debated on whether I was going to ask some else if they wanted to finish it or whether I was going to do it. Right. I also, on a PTSD thing, don't think I could ask somebody else to do that because if yeah. anything happened, I would like... Oh my God. Right. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. Yeah. Right. So I don't, I don't think he was mad. I'm sure it was just more like, I mean, I can't even imagine if someone fell in my home. I mean, that would be just... Oh yeah. Beyond. Yeah. And something that I had asked them to do, I would just be myself up all the time about that. So no, I don't, I don't think he was mad. He was just, you know, wanted to be closer to me and I didn't let him do that. Right. Right. Wow. What a good friend. What a great, great guy. I mean, listen, accidents happen. I mean, at the end of the day, right. Like that's why they're called accidents, yeah. but yeah, you know, it's, it's such a freaky thing. You're so 
lucky. You are so yeah. lucky. So lucky. On so yeah. many levels. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I was very lucky in this unlucky thing that happened. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Amanda Lynn, I'm I mean, I'm just so grateful that you came on to our special episode of Art World yeah. Art Stories. <laughs> <laughs> to share this because you know, there are just so many important lessons here for all of us. And, you know, taking your pain and trauma and turning it into a triumph, taking it into a learning experience so that, you know, we can all grow from it and and be safer from it. So thank you for coming on and sharing this because Bad things do happen to good artists, and you are living proof of that. But you're, you know, I don't know how many metaphors I can use, but you're making lemonade out of these lemons, damn it. And I love it. I'm so You're so inspiring. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's an honor. And I'm super, like I said, it's been beyond humbling everyone's like support and, you know, surrounding this whole thing and me in general as an artist. So, yeah, I just stoked to like actually get to talk with you and yeah. um, you know i've been a fan for a long time and um <laughs> maybe one day we'll meet in person uh we will we will and yeah. i look forward to that so one parting question is sort of just random coming coming to me how has your stamina been impacted are you having to build your stamina back up uh, in terms of how you're painting because i'm guessing before the injury you could paint for hours mm-hmm. no problem are you having to work in smaller bits now like what's your stamina like my trainer told me last week, my lesson was to go home and smoke weed. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> she was like, you need to chill your willpower out. <laughs> and I was like, so no, I'm still doing 12-hour days. There's some pain. So I'm trying with my... I actually, the real thing that I'm trying to do going into this, what I learned is that I want to enjoy. I do this amazing job. I have this amazing opportunity in life. And a lot of times I'm just so focused on finish something mm-hmm. that I don't really like take a moment to be like, this is cool. I like love to paint. And so I'm trying to really approach that and take things in my mind in a slower way in that way. And it has been pretty beautiful the Mm -hmm. the last, you know, since I started back in, I've like enjoyed my work a lot more. Mm -hmm. So I'm going a little bit slower in that regard and probably physically a little bit slower. Yeah. But no, I I love a good 12 hour day. That's my thing. I know that I should just, I got to chill my will, but. Um. You know, but that, but you no, know, but that is the downside. I mean, that's one of the, call it a downside, but that's one of the things of like, when you love what you do, it's hard mm-hmm. to stop. And when you feel like what you're doing is important work and it is, and you love what you do and you do, it's hard to stop. We're lucky people, right? That we get to do what we love and, and be paid for yep. it. So yeah. So sometimes it's hard to quit. Yep. But I like the idea of smoking weed. So, you know, go pull a ball. You know, usually it's like, do this, do this exercise. And then she was like, go lay down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, it sounds like to me, right? She, she's got your number and she knows she's right. dealing with a very uh, rare human. So her protocols probably have to be a little bit <laughs> extra. She follows my Instagram too. So she actually knows what I'm up to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Amanda Lynn, you're the best. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. And happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Trick or treat. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share it with your friends on social. Also, Remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. 
Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.